you know, our prayers should praise the Lord. And I want to invite you this morning to come, and I want you to join me in prayer this morning, praying for the country of Ukraine. Uh, we have uh, a team and people from our church that are in Ukraine now helping bringing out refugees. We'd ask specifically this morning to pray for a family that could not come out because they had an elderly grandfather. There, he could not travel, and they met with that family and, and prayed with that family. But they asked this morning that you would pray because the bombs were getting close to their home. Uh, you know, they're getting close to Poland. Folks, this is a very serious time in our nation. It's also a serious time that we need to pray for those who are fleeing. The Bible says to pray one for another. So would you come this morning and join me in prayer? Thank you. Father, we thank you so much. Lord, we need more and more of you. In our personal life, our family life, our church life, and Lord, the life that you've given us, we need more of you every day. And Father, we pray, Father, we want to intercede on the behalf of those that are fleeing war. Millions of people are going to other countries because of war. And Father, we want to intercede on their behalf that God, that you'd be their divine protection. That God, that you'd overlook their lives, that you'd help those that are, that are fleeing, walking on foot. And God, I pray you'd give them a place of refuge. God, you're our refuge and you're our very present help in a time of need and trouble. And God, the Ukrainian people need you. And Father, other countries need to be their support. And I pray that you would help them to aid them, those that are hurting. Lord, I pray for the churches that are uh, there in Ukraine. And Lord, they can't get out. They're under, in the basement hiding. Families are hiding in their homes. And Father, we want to pray that you'd be their salvation and hope and strength and protection. And Father, we want to pray for Kevin and uh, uh, Dr. Merrill and Nathan. And Lord, for those that are there, Tori, Isabel, God, I pray for that family, Lord, that they requested us to pray for this morning, for that elderly grandfather, that family that can't get out because they can't travel. And Lord, I just pray for there's many people like that in that nation. And Lord, help us to pray as we've never prayed before, as a people, as a church, as your child. And Lord, to intercede on those Lord, that are hurting so desperately. And Lord, we pray for them this morning, that you'd be their help, that Lord, that you'd be their protection, that you'd be their guide, and Lord, that you'd be there for them and make a way of escape for them if you would do that. And Father, this morning, we thank you that we have the great privilege of being here this morning to worship you. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm hmm. 
to the prison Life wants shackles and chains But I've been freed and forgiven Yes I have I'm not going back I'll never be the Thank you, choir. Let's give them another hand clap. Thank you so much for that. What a blessing. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 13 through 18. Started a series last week called Questions and Answers, and I, I asked you if you have any questions from the Bible that you'd like for me to preach on and talk about. 
uh, please write that on your care card or you can send me a message via email or on social media. That's fine. This morning we're going to be talking about the rapture. And we're, going to be asked, we're going to be looking at what is the rapture, when will it take place. One of the things in studying, it's amazing the different views that preachers, preachers I'm sorry, and denominations have on eschatology, which is the study of end times. Not everyone believes in a, a pre-trib rapture. Not everyone believes in a mid-trib rapture. Not everyone believes in a post-trib rapture. Not everyone believes in the tribulation at all. Some people see the book of Revelation as already been fulfilled and taken care of. So this is not an essential belief for your salvation. Okay, We have certain essential beliefs that you have to believe to be saved. And when you have to believe that Jesus was virgin born, he lived a historical life, he died on the cross and rose from the dead, you have to believe that to be born again. There's no middle ground with that. God does not say it's okay to believe, uh, per se, how a Mormon believes in Jesus. Nope, that's not a biblical Jesus. Or how a Muslim believes in Jesus. That's not a biblical Jesus either. Okay, you have to believe in the biblical Jesus. In times, it doesn't matter. Okay, as, as, as much as, as far as your salvation goes, does it matter in how you live your life? Yes. But I want you to understand that there are a lot of people who believe different than what I'm preaching this morning. Okay? But I believe this about the rapture because I've studied, and that's, just, that's what I believe. Okay? So when does the rapture take place? What is the rapture? Could Jesus come while I'm preaching? Are there, there are certain things that have to happen before Jesus comes. We're going to look at that and, and understand that Paul wrote this to the church at Thessalonica because he talked about the day of the Lord. Okay, that's, in my opinion, is separate from the rapture. Okay, that's Revelation 6 through 19, which is the most terrible time the world has ever seen. We've had bad times as a, as a, as a planet, right? Uh, there have been bad times, but it's never been worldwide, like, like this will be in Revelation 6, 19. And I have guys who I really respect, and I don't understand how they can say that this has already taken place. And all that is just symbolism. I just don't, I just don't believe that way. But I respect those that do, okay? So when you think about this, Paul had been to the church at Thessalonica, and he's preached on these things. The central theme of First and Second Thessalonians is this. Jesus could come back now. That's the central theme. Nowhere in the book of Thessalonians does Paul teach them how to live through the tribulation. He teaches them to be looking for the Lord's return then. But what had happened, Paul left. He sent Timothy back to check on the church. And they had these questions. Like I'm asking you, you ask me questions, okay? If my, we've had several people die since Paul was here. If Jesus came back today, what happens to them? Well, he answers that question. Stand with me. Let's look at verses 13 through 18 together. Now notice what he says. But I do not want you to be ignorant. Look at me. Your preacher does not want you to be ignorant, okay? And what, when Paul says that, this is what he's saying. Your theology can, can solve a lot of heartbreak in your life. It can solve a lot of confusion that you have. Okay, It can solve a lot of discouragement and de spiritual depression that some people have. The choir sang this, all my sins are forgiven. All means all, past, present, and future. A lot of times in your life after salvation... Okay? You'll struggle because you have sin issues or you'll have a season where you sin. Why do you do that? Well, I don't know why you do that. But we all struggle with that at times, don't we? Okay? And sometimes people come to me for counseling and I'll look at them and say, you're forgiven. Just forget about it. Go on with your life. Okay? Play, ask, ask God to forgive you again if that's what you need and then go on with your life. Theology is so important Listen to me. It is so important to be a part of a church that believes the Bible and actually opens the Bible and preaches it. I'm going to preach about the rapture, but I hopefully will expose it verse 13 through 18. Okay? And, and what, what was happening in the church of Thessalonica, they had a theology problem. And it caused so much hurt and heartache to these people. And then Paul corrects them with this letter. And he goes on, he says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. Notice what he says. Concerning those who have fallen asleep lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So what Paul is saying is that when Jesus comes back, if you're alive today and your loved ones are in Christ and they have died, they'll be coming back with him. Isn't that a blessing? They'll be coming back with him. Then verse 15, he says this, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. And Paul is saying this, now listen to me, I'm telling you this because Jesus said this. 
He says this, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. Paul says, This is not my opinion, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, that's all that matters this morning is your word and the Holy Spirit. And Father, as we've worshipped you through prayer and through song, I pray now that we'd worship you through this time of preaching and reading your word. Father, this letter was written to this church who had real issues and real concerns, and it brought comfort to their heart. Father, the return of Christ should not bring fear and dread, but comfort, eagerness, and expectation. Father, as a Christian, if I knew that you could return at any moment, it should change how I live today. It should change how I view the gospel and the Great Commission. Father, it, it, it should really change how I go to work on Monday. Father, it should change everything about my life. And Father, if there are things that we as individuals need to change in light of your soon return, Lord, convict us through the Holy Spirit to do that. Father, we have a great message to share with the lost and dying world. But there's also a time limit on that. The good news is only good news if it gets there in time. And Father, I pray that this would be good news to someone this morning. Father, I pray that there was anyone here today that's never placed their faith and trust in you, that today they would repent and believe the gospel and be saved for your honor and your glory. Father, thank you so much for this church. Father, I want to thank you so much for this book. Father, what a blessing your word has been in my life. And Father, I pray that we would sit under your word today and listen and Holy Spirit speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said together, Amen. Thank you so much. The centerpiece of all of Paul's letters is the imminent return of Christ. And I'll, I'll read this quote again with the emphasis on verse 13 and the word ignorant. Theological ignorance invariably, invariably leads to confusion, worry, and frustration. I, I remember what John Piper said. He said, think of all the sleepless nights and restless days you can avoid if you understand God's word. Okay? No matter what comes your way, church, God is sovereign. The sovereignty of God should be a soft pillow in which you lay your head every night. That's how I live my life, that God is sovereign. And that he, He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And when Paul writes to this church, the first thing he says this, and he wants them to understand when he talks about death, is that we have hope in death. Verse 13 says this, brethren, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. So others, there are others that don't have hope. Isn't that amazing? And Paul goes back to this thought about death. I remember not long ago I talked to our staff about death. I said, if you died today and we had, we had you in here and you had your casket open, and people looked in your casket, what, what would you want them to say about you? Justin said this. I hope people will say I'm a good student pastor, and Courtney will say that he was faithful to me and our children. Isn't that a blessing? Kevin said this. I hope they'll look over me and say I was a good father and faithful to my church, and I did all I can for Jesus. And I said, Mark, what would you want him to say about you? He said, I want people to look over me and say this. Look, he's moving. So what a blessing it is. All right. Now notice what he says. He said, but I didn't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have, look at the word, fallen asleep. Look at the Greek word, asleep. This is very important. When you think about death, sleep oftentimes, especially in this passage, Paul refers to Christians who sleep. He, it's, it's a euphemism for death, and he's talking about the body that is asleep. Is asleep. Now think about this in the Bible. After Stephen had been stoned, Luke, the doctor, records this in Acts chapter 7, verse 6, 60. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And having said this, he fell asleep. And he used the same Greek word. When Paul went to Antioch, as was his custom, he would go into a synagogue and he'd say, can I speak? And they'd say, yes. He was, a, he was a Torah observant rabbi. He studied under one of the greatest rabbis to ever live. Okay? And when he got up, he took the Old Testament scroll and he preached Jesus. He used, Psalm, he, he used two Psalms. He used Isaiah, I think it was Isaiah 53, and Habakkuk 1.5. And whenever he preached to the Jews and the Gentiles in the synagogue, the Bible says this, when they stopped the synagogue service, when he went out the doors, the Gentiles begged him, as God's word says this, begged him to come back another Sabbath. And the Jews went up to him and persuaded him to come back. 
And in part of his message, he says this about death. He says, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and laid among his fathers and underwent decay. That's Acts 13, 36. And 1 Corinthians 15, which is the greatest chapter on the resurrection in the Bible. Paul says this, After that he appeared to more than 500 brethren, talking about Jesus after the resurrection, at one time, most of whom remain now, but some have fallen asleep. Same word. Verse 18, he says this, Then if Christ was not resurrected, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Verse 20, he says, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Then Paul in verse 51 says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. When Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus, in, in, in John chapter 11 and verse 11, it says this. Then he said, after that, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go that I shall awaken him out of his sleep. Well, Lazarus had been dead for four days. When they rolled the stone away, they said, Lord, by this time in the King James, it says, He stinketh. That's how dead he was. But Jesus said this, he's asleep, I'm going to wake him up. Isn't that a great word for death? For death? It's only used of Christians in the Bible, never of a non-Christian. The Bible never says a non-Christian. never said Herod, Herod was struck by the angel, died, and fell asleep. It says he was struck by the angel, fell down, and the worms ate him. What a blessing. Okay, It's never used of a non-Christian. The word in the Greek there, if you notice, it starts with a K. Is a root word of our English word cemetery, which was adopted by the early Christians as their, as their optimistic name for the graveyard. It, basically, what they called a cemetery was a sleeping place for those that were born again. It also was a used that was word a word that was used as a synonym in those days, not of those days, but later for a dormitory. It's a place where you go to sleep. And one one scholar put it this way: the sleep, however, applies only to the body, for the soul and spirit are with the Lord. It's very important to understand. We don't have soul sleep as Christians. Because Paul says this to the church at Corinth, We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Just as the sleeper does not cease to exist while his body sleeps, so the dead person continues to exist despite his absence from the region in which those who remain can communicate with him. In addition, just as normal sleep is temporary, so too is the death of the body. Now listen to what John MacArthur said about sleep and believers that die. He says this, There will never be a time when a person ceases to exist or ceases to be conscious of his existence, ever. If you die today, you'll still exist. Your conscience will still exist, even though your body will be dead. We're going to say you're dead, all right? But you're not dead ultimately. This is true for both the believer and the non-believer. Listen, if you're lost, you don't get, you don't get to bypass death. You're always, you're always conscious of your existence. Even though your body is dead, your soul is not. For example, when Christians die, their bodies go into the grave, but their spirits go directly to the presence of God. And that's indicated in 2 Corinthians 5.8. By contrast, when non-Christians die, their bodies go into the grave, but their spirits go immediately to hell. Luke 16, 22 and 23. Nowhere does the Bible teach that a person ever loses a conscious awareness of where he is or what is happening to him after he dies. Isn't that amazing? Hence, a death, at death, your existence does not end. Your physical body goes to sleep, but your spirit continues to exist. One day, your body will be united with your spirit in a glorified form, 1 John 3, 2. So for now, your body sleeps until God awakens it at the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15. For the Christian, death has no final word. Leon Morris states it this way. This way for Christians, death is no longer that adversary whom no person can resist. That tyrant who brings all worthwhile existence into a horribly final end, death has been overcome by the risen Lord, and that has transformed the whole situation for those who are in Him. This should make you feel better about death. That's why Paul said this, Do not be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep or those who have died. They're with the Lord. Their body is there. You can go to their graveside. If you have a tombstone, you can go and read it. Born on this day, died on this day, and whatever Bible verse or whatever saying you want to put on there, but they're not there. They are not there. They have been, they, they're with the Lord or they're not with the Lord at all. Ignorance can cause incredible confusion and doubt. So the first thing we need to understand is that we need to be certain about death. The second thing is this, our faith is backed up by fact as Christians. Our faith is backed up by fact. Hist 
we, we talked about this Wednesday night in our Bible study. This is a historical document. Historical document. Okay? It's a historical document. The Old Testament is do- are documents that have been written and compiled together. The New Testament are documents that are verifiable, that have been written and bound together. And then you have a Bible. Our faith is built up by fact. Notice verse 14 on the screen. Paul tells this to the church at Thessalonica 4. If we believe, what are you believing? The fact that Jesus lived and died. That's a fact. Historical fact. And he rose again. Paul is not asking them to have blind faith. And I'll tell you this. There's no such thing as blind saving faith. There's no such thing. You place your faith and trust in the historical death and resurrection of Jesus for your salvation or you don't have salvation. Okay, we're not talking about Peter Pan or the Easter Bunny. We're talking about Jesus Christ. We have his, his genealogy and, and the Gospels that cannot be refuted. We have his letters that were written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which you can refute them, but nobody refutes that they were written. There's not a historian on the planet that has ever lived that would say Jesus Christ was not a real person who lived. They'll debate his death and resurrection and who he was. And Paul says this, for if we believe, that's the key point. Do you believe? Do you believe? I'm not into mythology. Jesus is not some mystical figure that, that just somebody made up. He really lived and died. Unless you believe that, there's no, there's no saving faith. That's why Paul says, for if we believe that Jesus died, do you believe it? Think about it. No, listen. I want you to think about this. This is so important. Do you believe that he died on the cross? I was the biggest skeptic when I was in school. I was the guy that asked all the crazy questions. You better give me an answer. I'd say this, why? Why? You know how a little kid does? Why? Why, Pop? I get that all the time. Why? Just don't worry about it, kid. You know? But that's, that wasn't good for me in school. No, tell me why. Prove it. Prove it. All right? That's why, that's why Peter said this. Be ready to give a defense for your faith. Be ready. Because it's true. You don't, you don't go to the grave for something that you know is a lie. You know, when the planes hit the towers on 9-11, they, they believed in a lie, but they didn't believe it was a lie. You just don't do that. Okay? For if we believe, that's the difference between your salvation and you not being saved right there. For if we believe that Jesus died, first and foremost, he's trying to build them back up with theology. And what he's trying to say is this, we have a forgiven past. Paul begins by reminding the Thessalonians of the most significant truth of the Christian faith that Jesus died and rose again. He starts them back there, elementary 101. Jesus died and rose again. One, one scholar put it this way, Christianity is a historical faith. It's not some whimsical religious belief that is declared from the real world. It is rooted in verifiable history. It's not simply a faith. It's a reasonable faith. Without the death and resurrection of Jesus, you have no Christianity at all. Jesus was not some mythological god amidst the pantheon of Greek gods. That's why Paul says, I see that you guys are spiritual when he went to Mars Hill, but let me tell you about the one that rose from the dead because he will judge you one day. Historical fact, when Paul went into that synagogue in Antioch, whenever he took out the Torah, he was preaching it as true. As truth. And he, and he said, hey, Jesus Christ lived among us, and he, he rose from the dead. That is truth. That's why Peter on Pentecost said, David's grave is there. Jesus is there, and he's not there. It's not there. They didn't believe in some whimsical fantasy Jesus. They believed in the real historical Jesus. That's why he says, for if we believe that Jesus died. Jesus Christ was not some mythological God amidst the pantheon of Greek gods. He exactly existed. He exa- actually existed in human history. Christianity is built on a historical Jesus, and by his death, he accomplished something for us that we could not accomplish for ourselves His death transforms our death and His resurrection into sleep. He did it once and for all, the Bible says. By means of His death, we are delivered from God's wrath and delivered into His kingdom. And Paul says this in verse 15. Notice, for we say this by the word of the Lord. Think about that. We say this by the word of the Lord. Paul's saying, I didn't make this up. Isn't it remarkable how much faith we put into words? I remember in school learning this. E equals MC squared. Now, is that true? I don't know. I guess it is. I have no idea. They say it's energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. I'll just take your word for it. Isn't it amazing how many business deals in the old days your grandparents would make? Just on, My grandpa bought his first acre of land. I think what they did was had tobacco in their mouth, 
spit in her hand and shook it. And there you go. That's my, that's my land. Are you good with that? Yeah, I'm good with that. Here's the money. Would you do that now? You don't believe anybody's word, do you? Paul's saying, the reason I believe this is I believe it because God said it. He lived it, and he says, you didn't see Jesus rise from the dead. You see me, but we have this revelation from the Lord. And he says, for if we believe that Jesus died, and what's the second thing? Rose from the dead. No fact in history is greater than the resurrection of Jesus. None. The most important day uh, on our calendar is Easter because of the resurrection of Jesus. Paul says, if Jesus has not been risen, our preaching is in vain. Paul says, Paul told the church of Corinth, if Jesus has not been risen, don't go to church. You're nothing more than a rotary club, which is a good club, but it's a club. He said, he said if Jesus has not been risen from the dead, our preaching is in vain. We're no different than the Moose Lodge. And I don't even know what that is. <laughs> All right? You're no different. Why are you going to church? Because he rose from the dead. He said, if Jesus has not been risen from the dead, your brothers and sisters who are asleep are not risen from the dead either. They're just dying in the grave. The single greatest fact in human history is Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Plus or minus nothing. There's more evidence exists for the resurrection of Jesus Christ than for the life of Julius Caesar. Paul told King Agrippa when he stood before him in the, in the great court, talking about the resurrection of Jesus, he said, King, you know what I'm talking about. This thing was not done in a corner. Everybody knows he rose from the dead. And then he looked at Paul and says, You almost persuade me to be a Christian. Almost. 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 Come that close. The third thing this is the Lord is coming. This passage portrays one of the most significant events in the history of God's church, the coming of Jesus. Think about this. 23 of the 27 books in the New Testament state that he's coming. One out of every 30 verses in the New Testament speaks either directly of his coming or of the end times surrounding his coming. For every biblical reference to Jesus' first coming, there are eight that point to his return. There is no element of encouragement in this passage if the rapture is not central. Every person, regardless of your eschatology, believes in the rapture. The, the difference is when will it take place. And I believe it's, you're either pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib, and I'm pre-trib, and here's why. There's, there are nine things that I think that are different from the rapture and the second coming. The first one is this. At the rapture, the saints meet Christ in the air. At the second coming, Christ returns to the Mount of Olives and meets the saints on earth. Number two, the rapture, the saints' bodies are changed and taken to heaven. At the second coming, the saints' bodies are not changed and stayed on the earth. Number three, the rapture, the world is not yet judged and continues in sin for seven years. At the second coming, the world is judged and, and righteousness is established on earth. Number four, the rapture is imminent. The second coming, Jesus said, is preceded by definite signs. He said it's like birth pains. You can read that in, in second Thessalonians, or 1 Thessalonians 5 in the first uh, seven verses. Number five, the rapture deals only with the saved. The second coming deals with the saved and the unsaved. Jesus shared those, those prophecies or parables about the, the wheat and the tares, the sheep and the goats, and the parable of the dragnet, all talking about the second coming, not the rapture. Number six, the rapture starts the seven years of tribulation. The second coming ends the seven years of tribulation. Number seven, the rapture, Satan is not bound. At the second coming, Satan is bound and thrown into an abyss. And then number eight, at the rapture, Jesus comes for the saints. At the second coming, Jesus comes with the saints. If the rapture and the second coming are the same event, believers would, would have to go through the tribulation. But Paul says this, that we've been saved from the wrath which is to come in 1 Thessalonians 5.9. If the rapture and the second coming are the same event, the return of Christ is not imminent. There are many things which must occur before he can return. And you can read about those from Jesus' own mouth in Matthew 24, verses 4 through 30. In describing the tribulation period in Revelations chapter 6 through chapter 19, nowhere is the church mentioned at all. Has a rapture-like event ever taken place in history? Notice verse 16 on the screen, if you will. He says this, for the Lord, no, verse 17, I'm sorry, guys. Verse 17, he says, then we who are alive and remain shall be, look at the word caught up. That's where we get the word rapture. It means to be snatched away. Have, has this type of event ever happened in history before? According to the Bible, it has. The Bible says that Enoch uh, was suddenly removed from the, work, from the earth by God. It says that, that Enoch walked with God and then he was not because God took him. 
If you study the following verses, like in Acts 39, the Bible says, When they came up out of the water, talking about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. In 2 Corinthians 12, uh, 2 and 4, Paul talking about going to heaven, he says, I know a man who was 14 years ago was caught up, same word, to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. He was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things which no one is permitted to tell. Revelation chapter 12, verse 5, which is, a, which is a good defense of the rapture. The Bible talks about a woman giving birth, and it says she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Then we have Elijah in 2 Kings 2.11, which says this, as they were walking along, talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses a fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up or was caught up to heaven in a whirlwind. So we have these, this word used over and over again in the Old Testament and the New Testament about God taking somebody from this earth to heaven without that person dying. And that's what Paul is saying that Revelation or 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18 is talking about. So how quickly will the rapture take place? 1 Corinthians 5, 15, 52. I don't know if I have that on the screen. Yeah, it says in a moment. Look at the word for moment. The Greek word is where we get the word Adam in the twinkling of an eye. Listen to what one scholar says. The word moment is an interesting word. It is the Greek word Adam. The word Adam means not cut or you cannot cut it anymore. It's the smallest that you can get. Suppose you, were, you kept cutting up a pie into smaller pieces and smaller pieces, if you had a knife sharp enough, that is, with a small enough blade, you could keep cutting the pieces down to the point to where you could not cut the pieces or particles any smaller. We call this an atom. The term atom is also used of time. We can cut time into years and into days and into hours and into minutes and into seconds. An atom of time is the smallest measurement of time, the point to where you can't cut time anymore. In English, we might, we might call this a split second. How fast will the rapture take place? In a split second, in the twinkling of an eye, if the unsaved blink, they'll miss it. Blink real quick. You're gone. Pretty quick. Faster than that. Faster than this. Look. That. They say you blink about 25 times a minute, somebody said. And they said if you drive so many miles, uh, let's say you drive, you're on a 10-hour trip. If you just take all your blinking together, you've, you, your eyes are actually closed for about three hours. And some of y'all drive like that, don't you? Listen, in a moment... In the twinkling of an eye, suddenly, Jesus will come back suddenly, and Jesus will come back unexpectedly. Unexpectedly. Suddenly and unexpectedly. Jesus said it's kind of like in Noah's day when he built the ark and everybody's eating, drinking, and marrying. You know, like no big deal. The door on the ark shut, and guess what? Rain fell. Just that day. Just happened. Just that happened suddenly. There's nothing that has to happen for Jesus to come back. He could come back today. He could come back right now. He can come back whenever he wants to. But when he comes, listen, suddenly. Faster than you can blink or the twinkle of an eye, which is faster than a, a blink, is what he's saying. will be changed that quick. Suddenly, it's going to happen. Are you ready? And Jesus said this, when he comes back, there'll be a reunion. Look at verse 17. He says this on the screen. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. Who's them? Your loved ones if they're born again. What a reunion that will be. I remember seeing a dad on TV who was a good Christian man. His daughter died in a tragedy. I can't remember what it was. And the news media basically followed him to the graveside, you know. And they said the dad leaned over, kissed the casket, and he said this, until we meet again. Only the Christian has that hope. Until we meet again. I remember Lon Solomon, who is a great Jewish preacher in Virginia. I think he's retired now. He talked about how he grew up as a, 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 a Jew. You know, he believed the Old Testament. He believed like the Jews believe. Then he said uh, somebody shared the gospel with him, and he, he gave his life to Jesus. But I think he said his grandparents didn't, okay? And he said his grandmother died. And he said that when uh, they had the, the funeral, they had a graveside. And said it was just a bad day. He said it rained all day. He said it was awful. And he said he was he's a Christian. He knew his grandparents were not, and they're not. Just because you're a Jew don't mean you're going to heaven. All right? And he said at the graveside, some guy got up and just said some words. Have you ever been to those? So sad. And then he said that whenever he, he assembled some kind of prayer in somebody's name, 
He said they were getting ready to walk back to the hearse, and he heard this loud shrieking noise, right? And he's a young boy, and he said he turned around and looked at his grandfather, jumped on the casket. He loved his, he was his wife so much. And he said, is that day, at that moment, the Holy Spirit kind of spoke to him and says, your grandfather's acting this way because he has no hope. See, Paul says in verse 18, we grieve, but we grieve with hope. See, there's no hope outside of Jesus. None. Absolutely no hope. And Paul wrote this to church at Thessalonica to give them hope. There's going to be a reunion with your loved ones. You're going to be reunited with the Lord in the air. Think about that. And think about the relief he's given the church at Thessalonica. Because in chapter 5, he talks about the day of the Lord. About how bad it is. It's like a thief in the night. It's going to come. And then he lists all these bad things that are going to happen. He says, you're going to be separated from that. But notice the sequence of the Lord's coming real quickly. Look at verse 16. The Lord himself will descend. Jesus is coming for us. He's not going to send an angel or an associate. Jesus himself is coming for us. Aren't you thankful that when you talk to a surgeon... Uh, I've been with church members before and they've, they've talked to a surgeon and the surgeon will say, I'm the best in my field. Then when it comes to the day of the surgery, guess what happens? An associate shows up. Which they may be just as good. I heard about a, a guy who did brain surgery and he was bad for that. But he was one of the best. Okay, He was one of the best. And then his son needed his expertise and guess what? He didn't send an associate. He said, I'll do my boy's surgery because I'm the best. See, Jesus isn't going to send somebody else. The Bible says the Lord himself will descend. Look at the word descend. That means Jesus is at the right hand of the Father right now. The Bible consistently speaks of that. In Matthew 26, the Bible says, In the future, Jesus says, you'll see the Son of Man sitting at God's right hand in the place of power and coming back on the clouds of heaven. Stephen, as he was being stoned, said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Hebrews 1.3 says this, When he had made purifications, talking about Jesus, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, but on this day he'll descend from heaven. The right hand was a place of honor, of authority, and the place of intercession. But at the Father's command he will descend. And then notice the specific calls. You have a shout, the voice of an archangel, and the trumpet of God. He will command or shout. That, that word in the Greek is an idea of a military command of an officer giving instructions or a jockey giving commands to a horse. This will be a shout of authority. Think about Jesus at Lazarus' tomb. He said, Lazarus, come forth. I heard a, a preacher one time at Revival said, if Jesus would have said, come forth, everybody would have came forth from the graves. And in John chapter 5, Jesus said this. He said, on the last day, those who are in the grave will hear my voice and they'll rise. rise. The same thing Paul's talking about here. And then Jesus says this, my sheep, my sheep, Hear my voice. If you're not his sheep, you're not going to hear his voice. My sheep hear my voice. I don't know if you take your dog to one of those doggy daycare things. You know, weird people do that. But anyway, they got money. But I guarantee you, if you had a dog that you loved, that you had it for years, in the midst of all those dogs, if you called your dog, your dog would come to you, right? When Jesus comes back, his people will hear his voice. With a shout, with a voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. Among the Jews, the trumpet was often used at feasts, at celebrations, at wartime. When they marched around Jericho, they, they blew the trumpet. At Jubilee time, among the Romans, they blew the trumpet three times. The first time they blew it, it meant put up your tent. The second time it, they blew it, it meant to line up. And then the third time it meant to march or to move on. This is the last trumpet, Paul says. When that trumpet is sounded, that means it's time to go. God calls us out. Tony Evans said this, in the Bible, a trumpet was used for two primary reasons. To call people to worship or to call people to war. And this time when Jesus blows a trumpet, it's time to worship for all eternity. Let me ask you a question. Are you ready to meet Jesus? Because only God's children will be taken. We have this illustration in our natural world. I like what John Phillips says. He said, we have this illustration from nature. He says, suppose you take gold, copper and iron, lead and zinc, and scatter some of them on the ground and bury some under the soil. He said, then you take a powerful magnet and pass it over the site. Immediately, one kind of metal will leap skyward and meet the magnet in the air. The magnet will leave behind the gold, copper, lead, and zinc, and will draw to itself the iron. Why does the magnet only draw the iron? Because the magnet and the iron share the same nature. 
When Jesus comes back, only those who share his nature will meet him in the air. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you will, as our musicians come. And I want to remind you of this, and it's not a scare tactic at all. Jesus may not come for a thousand years, but Jesus could come at any moment. There's nothing hindering Jesus Christ from coming back. There are no signs that have to be fulfilled. There are no prophecies that have to be fulfilled. Jesus could come back at any time. And let me ask you a question. If you knew Jesus Christ was coming back next Friday, let's think about this logically and reasonably. If he was coming back next Friday, how would your life change this week? Think about that. If you knew for a fact that Jesus Christ was coming back next Friday and you had a lost son or daughter, what would you do? If your grandfather was lost, what would you do? If your spouse was lost, what would you do? If your neighbor was lost, what would you do? Okay? How would your time change if you knew Jesus Christ was coming back next Friday? How would it? How, how, how would the way you treat your coworkers change? You probably wouldn't go to work, but how much would your, would your relationships with your coworkers change? All these little things that you get mad about, you probably wouldn't get mad about it so much, would you? If you knew he was coming back next Friday. Well, on the authority of God's word, he could come back next Friday. Or next Thursday, Wednesday, Tuesday. He could come back today, okay? Are you ready to meet Jesus, Christian? Are there things that you need to change in your life? Is there something you need to repent of? Good. Hey, you can start over today as a Christian, right? Isn't that what we believe and preach? Regardless of your past, Paul says, this is one thing I do. I forget the past and I press forward. Some of you today need to forget the past, which was probably Saturday night, and press forward. Amen? And if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you're not ready to meet, meet Him. The Bible says, Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That word saved means you're snatched from God's wrath and hell and all that goes along with it. You can be born again today. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes as I pray, and then this altar is going to be open for you as Sharon leads us in the song. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you for your word. Father, we're so thankful that you're coming back. Lord, your return could be at any moment. And Lord, you're going to come and change us in the twinkling of an eye. There's no time for repentance when the horn sounds. There's no time for that. There's no time to tell our neighbors how much uh, Jesus means to us. There's no time to make things right with our past or with our present, Lord. There's no time for that. Lord, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of repentance for us. Today is the day to make things right. Today is that day. Lord, if we have unforgiveness in our hearts and we knew you was coming back Friday, I believe we'd start forgiving people more. Lord, help us to be kinder. Help us to love people. Lord, help us to be generous with our time and with our treasure. Lord, help us to look for things above and our lives would show it. And Father, if there's anyone here today that's never placed their faith and trust in you, even now, Lord, I pray that you'd save for your honor and your glory. How am I saved? I believe in Jesus. I trust in Jesus who rose from the dead. That's how I'm saved. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Father, we thank you. This is your time, and this is your people. And I pray that this invitation will bring honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As Sharon leads us in this song, this altar is open if you need to come forward. And we would encourage you to respond at this time. everyone for being here today and I was, I'll, I'll tell you this like I tell you at the end of every service if you're here and you're struggling with your salvation or you're not born again and you don't know how to take the next step please contact one of our staff members uh, we'd love to talk to, with you about that we could talk to you about that after the service we can talk to you about that tonight or just anytime our numbers are in the bulletin you can go on our webpage and find those most of us are on social media just please contact us the thing that we want most for you is for you to place your faith and trust in Jesus amen God bless you. I love you and hope to see you back here tonight at 5 p.m. Thank you so much and you're dismissed.